I told you that I wanted to just share a little bit each week with you about our vision, about just progress, about some of the things that are happening and the details of what's moving forward. And uh, so I do want to do that for just a few minutes today, and we're going to get into the message because I have something that I'm excited to share with you this morning. Uh, but one of the words that really just continues to, I, I find, come out of my mouth, it's interesting when you talk about vision, uh, you know, it's important not to just throw s some taglines or some slogans together and just kind of slap it on something and say, oh yeah, this is it. I mean, you really have to nurture a vision, and I think a vision has a way of building momentum and kind of taking life on of itself, you know, because God breathes that vision into you. And one of the words that I continue to hear myself say as I'm articulating the vision is the word relevant. Relevant, which I just believe that our church and church in general is meant to be relevant in society, relevant in the communities that they're a part of, that their voice is influential and that it stands out. And it's a voice of it's a voice of uh, like a guide to those who are searching for wisdom and answers, because ultimately they want to know what does God have to say about that? And the church is obviously God's mouthpiece, as we are all God's mouthpiece, because we are his church. Right. So relevant in the way. Way where the church is relevant, but our lives are relevant too. And your life it should be relevant in the in the in the uh, situations and the environments that God's called you to dwell in and be a part of, whether it's your workplace, your neighborhood, your community, and so on. And I just wanted to share this with you: the definition of relevant to add a little bit of light to it. It, it says here, having significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand, having social relevance. I think that's awesome, right, to where the, the major matters that are happening in society, whatever they are, whether it's the issue of marriage, whether it's the issue uh, of, of our youth and all the different things that are, you know, challenging us as a nation, that the church has a voice and a say in that, not just to where they're heard, but where it's relevant because it affects those matters at hand. It's a game changer, you know, it changes the outcome of what's going on. And we are contending to and set out to be a church that is relevant in our community. That's a big part of our vision. Now, another thing that we're in the process of doing, uh, and I'm really excited about this, is we're, we're building our new website. Because we're going to have our own website and all of our own stuff for materials and everything. And in the process of doing this, you know, we're going to keep the name Life Church. I've said that already a few times. But we're going to change it up where it's going to be uniquely us. And we've talked with some of our leaders about this, got some input. And uh, I believe what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to actually not do all caps we're actually going to do Life Church with a capital L lowercase letters, but at the end of Life Church, we're going to put an X up here. Now, if you know mathematics, you know that that's an exponent. That means to multiply, to multiply. So I don't, we're not going to call ourselves Life Church X, but when you see the logo, it's going to be Life Church with an X up there, which basically means to multiply, because we believe that this vision that God has given us to impact our community, be relevant in our community, isn't just for this community, it's for us to be able to help multiply that and send people out and build and train and strengthen people in other places where they can become relevant in their communities as the body of Christ as well. We're just going to play a part in that, but that X to multiply, I think it says a lot 
lot about our DNA, kind of who we are and about our vision. It also goes along with the word extreme, which extreme service is how we do things, right? We're a little crazy around here. That's never going to change. And, uh, and so that we're going to probably say things uh, in a way where we say, hey, what do we do? If we're serving in our community, it might be extend. You know, we're just going to maybe try to utilize that so we become, uh, we can help kind of identify ourselves and, 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 and sh- you know, people can recognize, obviously, who we are and, and what we're doing as we go about things. So the domain name, when it does launch, is going to be www.lifechurchx.com. We already bought that domain, and we're going to buy lifechurchwaterloo.com, lifechurchillinois.com, and route those to our site. So if people do search us by those different ways and those different keyword combinations, they're still going to be able to identify us, find us quickly uh, within our area, all right? And that's, so I'm excited about that. Now, here's the thing. That will hopefully, uh, the target for that is to be done by the end of February. So when we do, we're going to make a huge deal about that. And, and, and you're going to play a part in helping us. This is, a, this is just a tool. This is a way that we can help get the word out. So once that site gets turned on and it's active, a couple other things are going to happen. I'm going to have our social media, our Facebook page and everything else, I'm going to have all of that updated to be able to show the new logo and the new stuff. But we're going to put information out there that says, hey, visit us at our new site. And our new site, it's going to say who we are. I mean, it's going to show how we are here to change our community. And so if we do this right, where we all all kind of share and forward the email and just share the links and you know talk about it do different things that thing will get a lot of traction it will be multiplied online in its visibility and we will be able to quickly show people that we're a church that's on the move that's kind of what we're doing right we're going to we're going to see some major things happen this year and as we roll all that out it's going to help people and I'm also going to get you, who's seen the sign right here at the intersection of uh Route 3 and, and Park Street. I'm, there's people that visit here on a regular basis that say they saw the sign. And in this area, that's just a great way. I mean, that might not work everywhere, but here it works. We're going to get new signs. I want to get at least two of them and put them up at the two major intersections. But we're going to have new colors, too. It's not going to be black and orange. It's going to be like a, a crimson red and a real bright red and like a dark gray, smoky gray and little white and black. It's, I mean, it's going to look really, really cool. And so that new banner is going to pop because people that are used to seeing it already are going to see something a little different. They're going to be like, oh, it's the same church. There's something new going on there. And we'll have another one at the other intersection, so we'll have two up. And it's just going to add to all of that. And I think the timing's really great because this will happen at the end of February, beginning of March. And at the end of March is Easter. You all know Easter's actually early this year based on the calendar. It's actually in March, like the 20-something. It's crazy. So Easter's the largest attended service of the year. And I really believe that in the timing of this, if we all just kind of rally around it and add our excitement to it, it'll take off. And I believe that we can really just draw a lot of people from the community for our Easter service here. And I think this is just kind of a goal. This isn't, you know... But I believe that if we really pack this place out after Easter, we're, we're kind of growing in numbers. I don't know if you've noticed that every week in our services, but I believe that we could actually, after Easter, be over 100 every week and never look back. I mean, we've hit close to that. We, we always get over 100 on Easter and family Christmas, but our normal numbers are a little bit lower than that, right? And maybe in the 70s, we were almost at 80 last week. I don't know this week yet, but the, the idea is, is that to me, I'm just interested in, in growth. I'm interested that, that what we're doing is multiplying, right? I mean, it, it's not good if you're growing, but there's no substance there. I trust and know that God's going to provide the substance. And so I just, I want to know that if we really come together and after the Easter service, there's a good chance that we'll be over 100 every week after that. So that brings me to my next point, which is location. 
And I want to ask all of you to just be praying with us about that because I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. I mean, really, when we had 115, almost 120 people here on Family Christmas Sunday, it was, it was almost too many. I mean, you, you can't have more than 80% uh, of what your seating capacity is filled and still be comfortable. They say that churches won't grow if they're putting over 80% of their seating capacity in their auditorium or their sanctuary. And so... You know, I don't know what we do. I don't know if we try to add a midweek service or a Saturday night service in addition to an already packed Sunday morning service. We certainly can't do another earlier morning service on Sundays because of the church we're renting space from, so that's not an option. We could do a later Sunday service, but I'm not convinced that's a good idea. Obviously, there's a relocation, but I, I mean, I've looked, I've got feelers out, but there's nothing that's there right now that's like, oh, that's what we need to go to. So maybe God opens a door, I don't know, maybe, but I just want to ask you to be praying with me about that. Will you do that? Just be praying about that in the weeks ahead that as we grow and that, you know, God will open up the door and he'll make a way for us to know where we're going to be and how that's going to look and to just move in wisdom and make the right decisions for that. Okay? All right. And then uh, the last thing is, if you haven't already, you can go ahead and start filling out your offering envelopes now and just be ready to pass those, to turn those in at the end for your giving, your offering, your tithes. We'll collect that uh, at the end of the service today. There's envelopes on your chairs where you can do that. So who's ready for the word this morning? All right. I was just talking pretty fast. I got all that out pretty quick. That was less than 10 minutes there. Oh. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I ask you to just anoint me today. Speak your word, Lord. Help me just convey things that are uh, truth because you said so. You said so in your word, and your word is life-giving. It's living, and it brings change and impact and revelation when those hear it, those who hear it, hear it with a, a hearing ear. And so I ask God that today your word would come forth with power and precision to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I guess the overall theme uh, this month is living from a vision. Kind of talked about that a lot. We're a church with a vision, and we are also people who are created to live from a vision in our own lives. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we're not just meant to take up space. We're not just meant to occupy time, to just exist. You know, I mean, yes, we're going to heaven, but that doesn't mean while we're here that it's just like dormant. I mean, there's, a, there's work to do. God's got an assignment for us. He has a vision for us to fulfill. Our lives have purpose, and that purpose is aligned with God's overall mission to bring a lost and dying world to him. Everything that, our, that goes on in our lives is, is really playing a part in a bigger picture, which is God's sovereign plan to reach the lost and dying world that we can live eternally with him. Not all will make that choice or decision. We know that. But we are instruments for God, and our lives have a vision and a purpose that is a part of an instrument that's used to fulfill that. And, you know, it's interesting. I, you read and you study a lot of things when you're preparing for messages. I, I mean, I just... I just do all kinds of different forms of research, you know, articles, things that are going on out there, other sermons from other theologians. I mean, just really taking it in as much as I can. And uh, one of the things that psychologists are saying, the experts, right, um, they, there's, there's a lot of young people today, way more than ever before, suffering from depression, uh, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, just all kinds of things that you wouldn't, I'm, I'm not talking about like 20s, I'm talking about teenagers and younger, 
that are suffering from this stuff. It's almost mind-boggling to think that could attach itself to a kid that, that, that's that young, but it's, it's happening. And one of the things that psychologists say is that young people who are growing up, if they are living a life that has no purpose, meaning they don't know what purpose they have, they don't have a vision for their life, they don't have goals and dreams that they're really pursuing, that any of those young people who kind of move through their years with, with that purposelessness are automatically higher and more prone to, to falling into a place of depression and anxiety and even despair and eventually potentially becoming suicidal, which is, is obviously terrifying to think about. We have to do something about that. And uh, what happens is, is when, when that purpose is not a part of their lives and they're, not, they're living purposeless, so to speak, that there's a desperation that starts to set in as they, as they grow up a little bit, a desperation to reach for something or something to, to fulfill, to fill that place that they need. And they don't necessarily realize it, but because God created us, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that he has put eternity in the heart of man. We're, we're created with this God-sized hole in us, right? You get that? that? That needs to be filled, but can only be filled with one thing that fits, which is God himself. He has to be the one who leads and guides our lives as the source of our revelation. He's our walks us through our steps as we live because he created us and he knows what we are supposed to do. But at the same time, we can go through life without, with that God-sized hole not being filled with God. Someone can, and they can throw all kinds of other stuff in there. I mean, it can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be lust. It can be terrible, terrible things across the board. And, and as they start to throw that stuff in there, there's a temporary satisfaction that it brings. But what happens is then they open the door to all the schemes of the enemy and sin starts to kind of get its way with someone and, and tangle them up in this web that they need to be able to be set free from. But it gets a hold of them. And so purpose and vision, to live from a vision, is something that I believe is critical for every believer to really, really understand and to begin to search for from God so that they can move forward in their lives with the purpose that God has ordained for them to live in. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to visit a story of a person in the Bible that I believe is as good of an example as any, if not the best, as a person who was living with vision, aside from Jesus himself, a visionary type of leader. And this guy was a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Now, I love this because Nehemiah, this vision that he had at the surface, it seems like more of a practical vision. And, and if you don't know a little bit about the book of Nehemiah, you need to read it. But it's, it's basically, Nehemiah is a guy who, this is the time when Israel has been taken into captivity. The temple was destroyed whenever Israel was conquered because God took his hand off of them because they were in sin and in and just all kinds of abomination and God's covering and grace. He just kind of took his hand off of it and he allowed them to be conquered and the city destroyed. The temple that Solomon built was destroyed and the walls 
that protected the city of Jerusalem were destroyed. And all of the, of the Israelites were taken into captivity. And it was called the Babylonian captivity, which lasted approximately 70 years. But God moved sovereignly over the nation and he allowed them to be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city. Now, this is where this story kind of takes place. Nehemiah, he's a guy that's what they call the cup bearer for the king. And it's a pretty important role because he, he's sort of like the king's main guy, the right-hand man that serves him, that, that brings all of his wants and his desires. He just kind of takes care of the king. If a king gets a good cupbearer, he's going to hold on to him closely because that's a pretty important role, right? And Nehemiah, he's the guy that's playing this role, but God lays a vision on, Liam, on Nehemiah's heart. He lays a vision for him to help lead the efforts of going back and rebuilding the temple walls in Jer or the, the city walls in Jerusalem to restore that nation back to a place where it can be dwelt in, right? Be lived and be occupied as it was originally intended to be. And so Nehemiah, he gets this burning burden, this passion on his heart that he's, he, God gave him that vision that he's gonna lead this way, this effort to go back. And it's not that he just goes and rebuilds the walls, he actually is, is leading a vision that, that God has given him where he is going to help bring a, a restoration process back to Jerusalem where the people of God can begin to worship and, and exalt and declare God's goodness and live in a way where God's hand is covering his blessing is over them as a people again. So it's a huge deal. It's not just about some city walls that are getting put back up. So if you have your Bibles, let's jump in. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. And like I said, he is a visionary leader. So we're going to start out in verse 1. And I'm just, we're going to read through the first uh, 17 or 18 verses here. But I'm going to pause a little bit along the way and just kind of teach from this. All right? So living from a vision. Lessons from a visionary leader. Verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, not to be confused with Toyota or Hyundai, by the way. <laughs> came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th century of uh, 20th year of King Artaxerxes that when the wine was before him I took the wine and gave it to the king now Nehemiah is the inscribed author here right now I have never been sad in his presence before therefore the king said to me why is your face sad since you are not sick this is nothing but sorrow of heart pause right there see when you're living from a vision a vision is something, a purpose is something that gets a hold of you. It grabs you from the inside. It moves you. It's something that there's, there's, it's almost like you're burdened by the things that this vision is going to help to correct or to bring hope and to bring restoration to. A vision of God, make no mistake about it, it's always intended in some way, more than we can, more ways we could probably even understand, to bring restoration, bring healing, and bring the things of God to a place where they're lacking or where they're not being experienced in the fullness that they were created to be. And so Nehemiah, is, he's showing us this right here. The king is saying, hey, what's going on? You're, I've never seen you like this before. You're down and out, buddy. Like you got this look on your face like you're just, you know, somebody just shot your dog. What's going on? You're, you're kind of white and pale. He's feeling it. 
And when a vision gets a hold of us from God, it just has a way of kind of burdening us and, and get, getting a hold of us where it's like, we have to see something done about this. We have to make steps and move forward to walk this vision out because sitting in a place of apathy is, is worse than stepping out and taking risks and moving forward, even if it's in the things that we don't totally know the risks that we're facing about, right? So he's got, he's just, he's burdened with this and it's moving him from the inside and the king recognizes that. Now, jumping down into, uh, we're still in verse two, it says, so I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Now you have to understand the significance of this moment right here. He, Nehemiah isn't just answering a question. He's actually responding in a way that could result in his death. He's, he's saying something to the king that could very easily cause the king to say, this guy's thinking about revolting. This guy, he, he's got something that's not uh, about serving me here that's burdening him. This is my cupbearer. I need him to be loyal. He tastes the wine that I drink out of to make sure it's not poison. I, I'm a little worried that this guy could, could take advantage of that role. When Nehemiah responds like this, he's basically stepping out in a place of faith that is incredible because he knows that if, he, if the king doesn't like his answer here, then he could very well get the axe, right? So there's, there's, when we have a vision that we're living from, you got to understand that there's a, there's a selflessness about it. It's, it's not a, a vision from God. It's not solely focused on us. It involves so many other people and so many other things that it's almost like we have to be willing to lay ourselves down for the sake of the vision that God is giving us for our lives. We've got to be okay not totally being the focal point, if you will, of the vision that God has for us because it's really more about Him and the things He wants to use us to do than it is just about us and how everything is going to work out to our benefit. And so Nehemiah, he displays this great attribute of selflessness because he lays himself on the line and he says, you know what? I'm just going to tell him what's going on. This is the vision God's put on my heart. I'm going to have to step out sometime. I might as well do it now. I'm going to risk my life for the sake of this vision and all the people that are going to be impacted by this vision. So there's a sense of selflessness there. Now, I, I love this because I talked a little bit last week. If you remember, I said that following Jesus, that's really how our vision is. We have to follow him to get there. I talked about how that's going to cost you something. Right? It's going to cost you something, just like the parable or the story of the, the rich young ruler where Jesus said, you need to sell everything and come follow me. It's going to cost us something. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But it's going to we're going to have to pay a price in order to see that vision come to pass. And Nehemiah, he's paying a price right here. He's laying a sacrifice down. And David said, listen to this. This is in 2 Samuel. There's a story where, where David was called to build an altar to the Lord. And he went up to go to build the altar. And he had to buy the ground where the altar was going to be. And he could build it. And then the guy that, was, that owned the ground, he told David, he's like... Dude, just take it, man. You're king, you know. You don't, need to, you don't need to buy this from me. Just take it. And you know what? Take all the cattle. Take everything that's on the land. It's yours. And you know what David says? This is huge, huge, huge. 
Huge, okay? It's big. Because David says something here that he didn't have to say, but I believe echoes through all of time to us today and continues to resound in the lives of God's people for, for centuries to come until we go to be with him. He says this. He says, I will not buy anything from you that doesn't cost me something. I will not sacrifice anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. He says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm willing to pay a price. I'm willing to sacrifice of, of myself, of my own uh, well-being, of my own you know, comfort and, and conveniences. Because when it comes to the things of God, it needs to cost me something in order to see it come to pass. I love that. And Nehemiah, man, he's doing that right here. Now, you can see it in these next verses where the hand of God is displayed. The king said to me, what do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said this to the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I love this because you notice what he says. He says, may the king live forever. But I need you to send me to the place of my, of my fathers to rebuild the city. He uses incredible wisdom here. And in order to really walk out of vision, you have to have God's wisdom with you all the way. Because it's God's thoughts and God's ways that have uh, crafted and, and carved out that vision for your life. And so his wisdom is necessary for us to really get a full understanding of how to carry ourselves and how to move and navigate through this thing. And it's just that simple little verse when Nehemiah says, may the king live forever, right? He's kind of like sort of making sure he covers his basis there. I love you, king. I mean, you're good. I'm not nothing against you, but I need to go fulfill this vision. He employs credible wisdom. I mean, he could have said, as soon as God said, here's the vision, I need you to rebuild the walls, right? We see that this thing's been kind of burning in him. He could have done this uh, hastily and just totally irresponsibly where he could have said, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm packing my stuff. I'm leaving at night and I'm gone. You know, and, and that would have created something where the king would have saw his betrayal. He would have tracked him down. It would, have, it would have been a problem. And only wisdom would have allowed Nehemiah to really be able to understand how to handle this thing and to not go too fast or not go too slow and to know precisely even the words to use and how to say it to, to continue to maintain those relationships that God had already put in place all along. So he uses great wisdom here. I love that there's a proverb. It says, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. There's a timing to things. There's a rhythm to things. God's purpose and his plan, it's, it's, it's got a time and a rhythm to it. And we've got to be in tune to that. We can move too fast and we can move too slow. I can give you incredible examples of both. But where we fall in the right spot is wisdom. Wisdom is the difference maker. It's knowing the wisdom of God, having it with us in our heart through the things we're doing, walking the vision out, that allows us to know God's rhythm, his time. In the Bible, it actually describes that word. It's like cadence. Cadence, where you know you walk in step with God. You walk in rhythm with God. I love that word. And Nehemiah shows us that here. So moving on into verse 6, says, Then the king said to me, with the queen also sitting beside him. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. 
Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertain to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted him according to the good hand of my God upon me. See, Nehemiah obviously understands God was behind this thing the whole time. But listen to this. He's imploring, part of a, walking out of vision it involves strategy. It involves strategy. And he's showing us here, I mean, can you tell? This guy, he's thought about this. I, I'm going to need letters to get through the land. I'm going to need permission. I'm going to make sure that those guys know you're sending me. I'm going to need timber because I need to build the walls. Oh, yeah, there's the house I'm going to live in because that's going to take a little bit of time. I'm going to need a place to stay. Can you throw in a fireplace there while we're at it, Kingy? You know, and so he's thinking about all this stuff. Strategy. Now, vision drives strategy. You have to understand that. Strategy doesn't drive vision. Our plans are formed and come to light once we understand and we've been given that breath, that vision of God, he spoke that into our heart. And then we begin to look at strategy and say, okay, what is going to be needed in order to carry this vision out? And so you see here that this is something that's been stirring in Nehemiah. I mean, he didn't just think of that off the cup. I'm convinced of that. He had to have been kind of thinking this all the way through. Like, not only is the vision there and it's burning, but he's even like, okay, how are we going to do this? How is this going to happen? How is this not going to happen? He's asking himself questions to know how are we going to go and exercise this and be good stewards of this vision and be resourceful and know that we're doing this in a way that's honoring and pleasing to God because this is going to take a little bit of time to see this thing through. So he's, he's exercising that stewardship and he's showing us strategy. Verse 9 then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters, and the king had set the king had sent captains of the army and the horsemen with me. Now when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So you've got to understand that these are enemies around, these are, these are former enemies of Israel. They were so excited whenever Israel was taken captive and they were pulled out of the land because now God's people are no longer a threat to them. So when they hear the story, the news, you know, uh-oh, a new church is coming to town, right? I mean, when, when the enemy hears these things, when your vision starts to get traction, listen, it's going to disturb the enemy, He's going to put up a fight. He's going to form a resistance. He's not just going to say, come on through after you. Go on right back there and declare God's glory and let's just, let's just sit back. He is in opposition to the things of God until he's cast into the lake of fire. It's in the Bible. He's always going to form a resistance. He is meant to, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy God's people and the things of God. And so anytime your vision starts to get traction, listen, I know it's not good news. I know this isn't what you want to hear. I wish, I wish I could take this part away for us, but it's, the enemy is going to fight you. He's going to attack it. He's going to form a resistance, and he's going to try to keep you from making that progress and seeing God's plan and purpose continue to move forward in your life. I mean, if somebody's trying to get free from addiction and they're doing the right things, they're going to get tempted in their flesh at some point. So, things are going to happen, right? I mean, all the different types of stuff. When people are moving forward, try, they get a vision for their life. They want to start a new business and do, God, do good for God, you know, and really honor him with their resources and their finances and create jobs. Look, there's a probably going to be time where they just want to quit and they want to throw in the towel. 
They want to, you know, it looks like they're not going to be able to make it. And then and then they're on the cusp of bankruptcy. And you know what? They might have to just, the enemy's fighting them, and they might have to just keep standing in faith until that breakthrough comes. The enemy's going to form a resistance when our vision starts to get traction. He always will along the way. Verse 11. It says, I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. I rose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room in the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. I turned back and entered by the valley gate and returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or the officials, or others who, uh, who had did the work. So what is he doing here? He's going and he's, he's surveying everything. He is understanding uh, what's going to need to be done. He's getting a pulse on the whole situation. He's internalizing this vision. Right? He's, he's allowing the vision to get to a certain point where it's building and it's growing in him, where it's, it's, it's strong enough for him to be able to cast it. We've, we've, we can't just have the vision sort of loosely carved in our heart. I mean, it's got to be in there, and it, we've got to really internalize this thing. Spending time with God daily is so important to just really allow him to speak fresh breath and vision into our lives every single day. And when, when Nehemiah goes and he walks around, you know, he could have said, all right, we're here. Let's go ahead and get all set up. Let's do this. He just took a little bit of time. Right? He kind of tarried, and he walked around. He looked at everything that needed to be done, and he just he internalized this vision. He let God, he just kind of meditated on it. Right? He chewed on it. He just he's like, man, I'm just I'm ready to I'm, I'm just I'm ready to cast this thing out. But I'm just I'm, I want it to be at a certain point where it's really strong in me because once it comes out, I need it to be filled with passion and fire so that whenever people hear it, that it's going to be able to fall on the right ears in the right way in the right time. I think about how I prepare like for my messages. I always keep with Katie she'll say oh that you're working on that one are you are you ready to and I'll be like no it's it's not preach ready yet and she's like what do you mean preach ready I'm like ah, I mean it's just not I don't have it in me enough yet I still need to work on it a little bit more I just need to internalize this thing get it in me a little bit deeper because here's the here's the truth folks I I'm I gotta it's gotta just it's gotta be in me so deep because when I get up here I can't just go by notes and just read an outline. This is not, right, that's not how it works. It's got to get in me so deep to where it's what I call, like, preach ready. Yeah, that one's preach ready, you know. And, and then it comes out of me, and it comes out with power and with that anointing. And the vision is the same for your life. Like, it's, it's got to be in you and stirred up and internalized. It's got to be something that you've put time and energy in. You've, you've set aside time to think on this and this alone, the vision that God has for your life and what he's leading you to do. And that way, whenever you go to take steps and move in this thing, it's on fire. It's burning, right? I freak you out. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, verse, verse 17. I got to get to the, the end of this. So, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies the waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them that the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. Now it's time to move. Look, your vision is, there's going to come a point, it's where we call like, I, I call them like these moments, right? You come to these moments where you have to take action now. 
you have to take action. There's time where you internalize, you meditate, you seek wisdom, but there's a point in time where it's time to take action. It's time to now explode out. It's like pressure builds. You know the way a compressor works, right? All that air inside. It's like pressure builds, and at some point, you can't just keep pumping air into that thing. It's, now you're, you're ready to let some air out and go and do some work, right? You've got to be ready to take action. And when that time comes, all I can say is you, you ought to know it. You know, God ought to prompt you and be stirring in your heart. Maybe seek some counsel from people around you. But you need to get moving and take action. There's a quote that says, a vision without action is just a dream unrealized. And I just, I mean, it's just important to say this. Once it was time, Nehemiah said, all right, let's get to work. Get to work. Break out the hammers. Break out the chisels. Get the stones ready. Get the wood ready. Let's get to work. And now let's start to take action and see this vision start coming to pass. And then they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. Listen to me. Oh, this is the heart of this today for me. I believe that this is what our cry is what God is yelling is speaking to us let us rise up and build that's the title of this message for me today let us rise up and build we reach a point we reach a time where now let's go and build this vision this great thing that God's ordained for our lives we've sought it we've prayed over it we've we've trusted him it's time to take action now let's all come together around this vision and let's be let's be ready to contribute our abilities and our skills and our gifts let's all figure out how we play a part but there's this thing in us it's like yeah Let's rise up now and build this thing. Let's get to work and let's go do what God's calling us to do. And let's see the impact that he wants to make. And we're just not talking about it. Let's go see it. Let's go experience it. And let's go watch God move in power and might among us. Do you feel that today? But when Salabat, Salabat. Uh, oh, and let me say this. As we do that, we get stronger as we build. When it says they put their good hand to they put their hand to the good work that they would do, it means that they were strengthened in their hands. It actually means, look, you know how it is. When you do work, you get on a new job, let's say it's physical work or whatever, you do it the first day, man, you're crashed. You know, it's like, oh, my muscles hurt in place. I didn't even know I had them, you know. But I mean, as you do it over and over again, you get stronger. You get better at that work. You get more precise. You might even be able to teach somebody how to do that, you know. And so you get in there and you start moving forward. We start building this thing. We all get stronger as we go. We all get more mightily used, and it's not just in the house of God. It's in the, the lives of his people. It's in their relationships. It's in their homes. It's in their neighborhoods. We're all going to get stronger and more mighty in the things of God as we move forward in, in, the, in what he has for us to do. And when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed and, at us, and they despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so now it's like, okay, here's, here's the opposition. Oh, I wish I had more time. Okay, what are you going to do? You're going to rebel against the king? We're going to kill you. You try to build those walls, we're going to kill you and all your people. It's over for you. Don't even think about it. Bah, 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 bah. That's what the enemy does, right? He wants to intimidate you. Look, vision for your life, for mine, for God's people, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to stand and fight. I'm sorry to say, 
you can't lay down in this battle. You're going to have to stand. You're going to have to draw a sword. And you're going to have to be ready to fight for it. And when Nehemiah heard this, this is what he said. And so I answered him and said, you like how I did that with the tone and everything? So I answered him and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. It's funny, I know, but it's serious, so stop. Look, he's saying, he's saying, you know what? Yeah, not only are we going to build, not only are we going to get going on this vision, and God's going to be with us, but you who threaten this, you have no authority over this thing. God spoke it, and God's in charge of bringing it to pass. See, the last part that I want to say about living from a vision is that we have to understand when God speaks that vision, if it's ordained of God, then we have an authority of God by his blood to walk in authority over the enemy that no matter what he tries to do to stop it, he cannot prevail if we walk in faith. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to finish it. God doesn't speak something that he doesn't intend to see come to pass. We are all like this. We start stuff and stop and don't finish it, right? I go around my house and I'm like, oh, started that, didn't finish that. Started that project, didn't finish that, right? I was just talking to Bob about this. He finished his house project, so he's in good shape. But, you know, don't you hate that? You start something, you don't finish it. We don't serve a God like that. Okay, he says something, he speaks it, he breathes life into it, he intends to bring that thing to pass, he intends to see it through, and it's by his strength, by his might, by his power, by his spirit, that he will bring you through it victoriously. No matter what the enemy tries to do, you do have the authority to stop him and to thwart off his attacks and to push him out of the area that God is using you to occupy and dwell among. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me today. Oh, listen. Listen, the vision is always, the vision is always bigger. It's always bigger than what we even see. Okay, it's always bigger. Oh, listen to this. So, It took 52 days to rebuild those walls. Not a lot of time, a little bit of time. I mean, 52 days. But see, this vision that God laid on Nehemiah's heart, you got to understand, it was bigger than just being about a wall project. It was bigger than being about running some walls up and forming a hedge and a barrier around the outside of the city. Now, Nehemiah, was in, he, was, he was burning with that part of it, right? But that was just a piece of the vision that God had given him. Because these walls were meant to create a place for the people of God to come back to and to begin to seek his face and worship him and to be able to live in a community of relationship with God and to see his power and his hand and his blessing all around these people. This piece of the vision that Nehemiah had, it consumed him, but it was just a piece of God's vision overall. You see, 400-something years later, 
that same city that got rebuilt was the city that the Messiah came to where he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. If that city hadn't been occupied, it wouldn't be ready and timed and prepared for the Messiah to come the way God had inscribed that from time to begin. Our, the vision God has for you is so much bigger than you understand. You see how Nehemiah's vision, was, it played a part in eternity. This little thing for 52 days is affecting you and me today because it created the place where the king of kings came and suffered and died and his blood was shed for us so we're saved right now today. So we have power today to live out our vision. The vision God has is always so much bigger. And so let me ask you this. What is God giving you a vision for today? In your family, in your career, for your gifts, for your community? What is God speaking life into you about? What is the vision he's trying to give and stir your heart up for today? Because we serve a God of vision. We do. Some people, when God's vision starts to come into their heart and he, give, he speaks life into them, some people make a complete and drastic turnaround because the, the path that they're on is just totally going opposite and away from where God has for them. I've seen it happen time and again. It's a beautiful thing. If that's you today, I pray you get a hold of this. Some people, they're, they're, they're already wanting to live for God's vision for their lives, and, so, and they're maybe using some of their gifts and talents, but when they get a hold of God's vision and then it pours into them in a fresh way, it's like it taps into things even greater and deeper than they ever were before. I believe that's probably where a lot of people are today. God's using you. You're contending for that. But if he's going to speak fresh breath and fresh vision into you, it's probably going to bring your gifts to a higher level. It's probably going to cause you to press in deeper and experience God more than you ever have and see his power start moving in your life more than ever before. Hallelujah. The vision must be internalized, not just conceptualized. We can all kind of understand what a vision means, but you understand it, you can understand a lot of things conceptually that never actually become a part of you internally. And this is key, folks. The vision of God has got to get in you. It's not just something that is external that you, you understand and you agree with. I mean, this is something that lives inside of you. God breathes it and speaks it into your heart, and it burns in you. I was driving the other day. I just saw a sign on a window of a business that said, we are the best at cleaning whatever it was or something out. There's just this little sign on the outside of the building. And I don't know, I'm a little weird, but I thought, well, I wonder if everybody else knows that, that you're the best at that. You know, like, huh, are, are they really? <sighs> I mean, I've never heard that before. I don't know that most of the people that I'm driving around understand that. But what it got me thinking about is the vision as it's in us and it burns in us that it will come out of us. It will move forward in our lives and display itself. And God's hand, it'll be evident to the world that God is at work. And that's what we want. That's his glory revealed. For people to see his goodness and his nature and be drawn to him. The vision isn't meant to just sit inside dormant and not come out. 
We gotta internalize, we gotta let God breathe life into it. But as we move in it, it ought to create ripples in the world around us. And God's hand, his spirit, ought to be evident and it ought to be felt. I end with this. I prayed, I was praying the other day. I was praying, God, give me vision. Speak it to us, God. Help us to know where to go, what to do. Form your plans, God. We want to do your work. And I'm, I'm just like, it was this moment where I'm just praying. I'm crying out for vision and seeking it from God. You know, I know so many of these things he's put in us, but I'm just desperate for it. I don't ever stop praying and seeking it every day, no matter how clear I think it might be at any time. And it was like this moment came. And I believe this is a prayer. I want to encourage you to pray. And this moment came where this prayer just came out of me. And I've, I just, I, it was just God. And I thought, oh, Holy Spirit, you are so good. I pray. I said, God, give me your wisdom and your knowledge. God, pour your vision into me in a way that's so rich. It's so deep. Lord, that I don't even have the capacity to ask for it. I don't even have the capacity to pray for it because I don't even know how to pray that big. God, pour it into me. Get it in me, God. I want to go forth and I want to carry this thing and I want to see it come to pass. I want to take action. I'm ready. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready for what God has planned for this church, for your life, for this community, for this land, for this nation. I hope you're ready because something is coming. We're not going down without a fight. The enemy may be coming at us from a lot of different areas, but we are not going to go down for, without a fight. We're not going to lay down and die. The people of God will rise up in the last days and they will form a resistance. Be strengthened. Get a revelation of his vision for your life. Let us rise up and break. Let's break.